Well, again, a pleasure to be with you this morning. Thank you for being here with us. Uh, this special Sunday, Palm Sunday, uh, we'll be looking at the biblical account of the triumphal entry in Luke chapter 19. Uh, you can turn there in your Bibles, Luke chapter 19. We'll be reading verses 28 to 40 this morning. 28 to 40. I invite you to follow along in your copy of God's Word as we read together. If you're using your Pew Bible, it's page 878, if you'd like to follow along on that. Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 40. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage in Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away, I'm sorry, so those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is just a marvelous passage, an incredible text to be able to look at this morning as we look at the triumphal entry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, So this morning, what I would like to do as we look at this passage together is I want to make some, uh, point out some facts about the passage, uh, facts about the people, and then facts about our present situation as well. So first, let's start with facts from the passage. Number one, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's plan for the salvation of man. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's plan for the salvation of man. You need to know that this morning. We see this in the text in front of us. Look again with me at verses 28 to 34. Jesus is traveling, and he's going to be making his final, uh, you know, traveling through Jerusalem. It says, when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Remember last week, we talked about Jesus showing forth himself to be a servant and showing true greatness is found as we serve others and serving the Lord. So it says that Jesus, when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. He drew near to Bethpage in Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, and he sent two of the disciples. He's going to be making his way into Jerusalem, and prior to making his way into Jerusalem, this is what he tells two of his disciples. Go into the village... In front of you, where you'll find a colt tied, no one has ever sat on this colt. I want you to untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. The Lord has need of it. This is, just think of that for a moment, okay? Imagine if you had a, a car in your driveway. and Someone strolled up to your driveway and they were like, hey, we're taking your car. 
And you're like, why are you taking my car? Because the Lord has need of it. All right, take it, right? This is what happens here. This is what happens here. Jesus is, is sharing with them something that no one could know. Jesus says, you're going to find a colt that's been tied. And by the way, no one's ever sat on it before. That's the one I want you to bring. And people are going to ask you when you go to bring it, why are you taking our colt? And I want you to tell them the Lord has need of it and they'll let you have it. If I'm one of his disciples that went, the two, I don't know what that conversation looked like. You ever feel like God is has called you or stirred within you to do something, you're like, all right, Lord, if that's what you want, I'm going to do it. I feel like that would be happening here. They go into the village, it says, they found it just as he told them. In verse 33, as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And then we read on in verses 36 to 38 and following that the crowd, those that were following him, his disciples, the whole multitude that would be considered his disciples at this point that were following after Jesus were laying palm branches down. They were declaring he is coming to save us. Mark's gospel, Matthew's gospel would share that they are crying out, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna to the king, save us. They were crowning him as such and Jesus would make his way in. Verses 35 to 38 are fulfillments of Old Testament prophecies concerning Jesus. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Psalm 118.26, the psalmist said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. This is what they were saying to Jesus as he was entering into Jerusalem. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is what Zechariah the prophet prophesied about. Your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is prophecy being fulfilled right before their very eyes. Again, a clear demonstration that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that was soon to be following this was not man's doing or man's plan. This was, in fact, God's plan. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's plan for the salvation of man. And you see it right here. It's alive in this text. Jesus, again, demonstrating knowledge and understanding and and miraculous knowledge that no human being could have. Jesus demonstrating authority and those that didn't even hear Jesus speak those words, allowing this colt to be untied and taken because the Lord has need of it. The prophets prophesying about Jesus and it coming to fruition, it coming true just as God had said it would. This is the plan of God for the salvation of the world. It's only through Jesus Christ, God's son. I think sometimes we can underestimate how significant fulfilled prophecy is. All of these prophecies concerning Jesus that were fulfilled, some estimate over 300, some estimate over 500 prophecies concerning Jesus Christ fulfilled in his death, burial, resurrection, and birth. His birth, life, death, burial, resurrection. Over 300, over 500 prophecies. Sometimes we can glaze over that. We can lose the significance of that. Let me share with you something about prophecy and about the the probability of this. A number of years ago, Peter Stoner and Robert Newman wrote a book entitled Science Speaks. 
The book was based on the science of probability and vouched by the American Scientific Affiliation. It set out the odds of any one man in all of history fulfilling only eight of the major prophecies fulfilled by the life of Jesus Christ. Again, over 300, most estimate many over 500, up to like five, I think 570 some people say, as far as predictions, prophecies concerning the life of Christ fulfilled. They did the probability of one man just fulfilling eight such prophecies. The probability of that happening is one in 10 to the 17th power. That's one with 17 zeros out of it. To put it as a number, it is one in 100 quadrillion. That just eight of the major prophecies concerning Jesus Christ by one man could be fulfilled. Now, I know that's not that meaningful to you because you really, I can't, you can't wrap our heads around one in 100 quadrillion. (laughs) We can't really... Wrap our heads around that. So let me put that in perspective. One of these authors of this book said that if you would think about how many silver dollars that would be. Silver dollar. If you've seen a silver dollar, you know what they are. He said that would be enough silver dollars to cover the entire face of the state of Texas two feet deep. Two feet deep. Now put this in perspective. The probability that one man could fulfill even eight of these prophecies would be to take an individual, blindfold them, spin them around, place them in Dallas, Texas, and say, go ahead and find the one silver dollar with the X on it across the state of Texas on your first try. That's the probability of one in 100 quadrillion of one man fulfilling eight prophecies concerning him. Put that in perspective, folks. We're talking about someone blindfolded placed in the middle of the state of Texas, and they have to walk the entire state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars and find one silver dollar the first try with an X. And oh, by the way, do it again and again and again and again. Prophecy proclaimed of Christ, fulfilled in Christ is a clear demonstration that this is, in fact, the plan of God. It's the plan of God. This is the plan of God for the salvation of man, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The triumphal entry, just like hundreds of other events and facts concerning the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, shows forth this was God's plan for the salvation of man. The only higher probability of someone accomplishing something more than that may be the Browns winning a Super Bowl. Only higher probability. Had to throw it in there. This is, (laughs) I know, this is God's plan that is unfolding in the life of Christ. And this proclaims it, this shows it again. There's no one like Jesus. There's no one like Jesus. This is God's plan. Fact number two from the passage, Jesus Christ is the son of God and proved himself to be the true Messiah. Let's look at verse 30 again. I already touched on this. Go into the village in front of you. You're going to find this quote. Listen, Jesus proclaimed and did things that no mere man could do. He was fully man and yet fully God. His deity is on display in this passage yet again. 
Not only in the fulfillment of prophecy, but in what his knowledge and understanding was. It makes me think back to so many passages of scripture concerning the teaching of Jesus, where it was said of Jesus' teaching that he taught with authority and not as the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus revolutionized their thinking when it came to their understanding of God. And he said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. He's proving yet again he is the true Messiah. The passages in Zechariah in Psalm 118. If you look at verse 37, it says in the passage that when he went, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Jesus was performing mighty works, miracles, and acts that no one else could do. Jesus was demonstrating again and again he is the Messiah. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter is preaching at Pentecost, he says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attest to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Again, the miracles of Jesus, the working of Jesus showed forth. He is the son of God. He is the true Messiah. Matthew chapter 11, after John the Baptist was imprisoned, John sent some of his disciples to Jesus and asked him, are you the one who is to come or do we seek for another? And Jesus answered and said, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus tells John when he sends his disciples, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that is sent by God? And and Jesus' answer to the disciples is, go tell John what you have seen and heard. Go tell John of these incredible things that I'm doing and what only God could do. And that's what they would go and tell John in, in the convincing that this truly is the Son of God, the Messiah. This is a fact. Again, from the passage, he proved himself to be the true Messiah. Fact number three, Jesus Christ is worthy of all praise, honor, and glory, and he will receive it. Sometimes we can think of this and think, well, will he? Look at our culture, our society, our world. Look at the persecution across the world to those that are followers of Christ. Look at the the complete commitment that the world has to destroy the name of Christ. Look at the complete all-in commitment of persecution across the globe to the name of Christ and to those that follow Jesus. Their desire is there by the enemy to stop Christ from building his church. The desire is there on the part of the enemy to blind the eyes of those that don't know Christ, to keep them in bondage to sin. And yet the promise of Jesus is that he will build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is the true living God dwelling amongst us. And he is worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. And lest we get a little bit frightened that maybe he's not going to receive it, he will receive it. He is receiving it. And he will for all of eternity receive it. If you look at verses 37 to 40 again, as he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. What a true statement they were making there. This is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. It's a similar statement that was made by the angels proclaiming the birth of Jesus. There's born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I want you to think about this for a moment. This is an incredible moment here. It's a pivotal moment because the Pharisees, the religious leaders, those that knew the law, they knew what God's standard was. You are not to pay homage or worship anyone as God but God alone. You are not to call anyone Lord but God alone. And here they are. They're they're kneeling down to Jesus. They're throwing palm branches and they're saying, praise the Lord. This is the king who's come in the name of the Lord. He is the Messiah. He's here. And the Pharisees go to Jesus and they're like, silence them. Tell them to shut their mouths. Do you realize what they're doing? They're calling you God here. Jesus says to them, I tell you, this is such an incredible statement. I love this statement. Jesus says, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Man, the power in that. That's just incredible. I love that. I love that. There's no explanation needed here on the part of Christ. There's no, listen, guys. They're worshiping me because I'm really him. Like, Jesus doesn't do that. They say, silence your disciples. This is blasphemy. Jesus looks at them and says, I tell you, if they are quiet, these stones are going to cry out. Friends, that is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus. You know what Jesus' statement of the very stones would cry out? Show us that he then, now, and forever will be worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. And he will receive it. He will receive it. One day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. So don't worry. If you're a child of God this morning, don't worry. Jesus is going to receive the glory and he forever will. He forever will receive it. Facts from the passage. Number one, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is God's plan for the salvation of man. Number two, Jesus Christ is the son of God and proved himself to be the Messiah. Number three, Jesus Christ is worthy of all praise, honor, and glory, and he will receive it. Let me give us some facts about the people now. As we look at this passage, some facts about the people. Number one, the people were looking for salvation and deliverance for all the wrong reasons. The people were looking for salvation and deliverance for all the wrong reasons. I I would allude to this. If if you've ever uh, done something, work around the house, gone to the gym where you have been sweating and you just smell nasty because of the sweat. You know what it's like when you get dirty and smelly and stinky uh, and, you know, it's one of those things sometimes where you're like, man, something stinks. And then you're like, is that, whoa, you know, that, that kind of thing. Most of us, if we really want to address the problem We're going to go home and we're going to get showered and we're going to wash up. But have you ever not had time to do that and you're dirty, you're smelly, you're nasty, and you're like, I'll just change my clothes and and try to throw some deodorant on, right? Have you ever done that? You know, like you guys laughing because you know what that, it doesn't, it doesn't work, okay? It does not work, maybe temporarily, maybe for a little bit, but eventually like the deodorant gets kind of, it's not what it's supposed to smell like, okay? It just doesn't smell right. And you know the feeling, you know the feeling when you've been all sweaty and then you put other clothes on, but your skin feels like it's sticking to the clothes and you're still kind of sweating like an hour later because your blood pressure was up and your, like, your heart rate was up and all this other stuff. You know what I'm talking about. That's what the people were seeking here. The people were seeking 
very physical answers and deliverance rather than true deliverance that was needed within. They were seeking a temporary solution to an eternal problem. And here they had right in front of them an eternal solution to their eternal problem. And they didn't see it. The people were looking for salvation for all the wrong reasons. Verse 37 says, The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. This is interesting because it's not that they were praising God and and rejoicing because they recognized this is the deliverer for their sins, for the sin problem they had. They were rejoicing and praising him as a deliverer, they thought, from the rule that was over them from Rome, for physical deliverance. A king, a physical king that would rule over them and protect them and fight for them against the tyrannical rule that was over them. In John 6, 14 and 15, it says, When the people saw the sign that Jesus had done, they said, This indeed is the prophet who has come into the world, perceiving they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Jesus knew when he was performing the works and miracles he was doing, they wanted to take and make him king right then and there. Do you understand the perspective that was here? If they were truly worshiping him and seeing him as their eternal Messiah, as the one that would save them from their sins, as their king that would save them from their sins, there's no need to try to rush and make him their physical king right there in the present, but that's what they were focused on, and Jesus knew this about them. Later on in John chapter 6, it says, when they found him, this was after he fed the people, it says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. They were looking for a physical king. They were looking for an answer to what they thought were just the physical problems of the day and of the world, and they were missing this was truly the one that could give them eternal deliverance. In John chapter 19, when Pilate sought to release either Jesus or Barabbas, the Jews would cry out, If you release Jesus, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. After Jesus was arrested, they betrayed, they fled from him, they they abandoned him. And the Jews were now crying out, arrest this man, crucify this man, because he seeks to make himself king. How ironic. That's what they wanted for him. But that's not why Jesus came. He wasn't there to be their physical king. So he was delivered over to be crucified. The people were looking for salvation and deliverance for all their own reasons. And listen, I think this is very important because if you're here today and you might be in that camp where you are looking for salvation and deliverance in all of the wrong places and for all of the wrong reasons. The word of God tells us every single one of us has a problem and that is sin. That we've all sinned, every one of us. There's no one in this room, myself, anyone else sitting next to you that is good enough on our own, holy enough on our own to have relationship with a holy God. Every one of us has the need for Christ as Savior. These people were looking in all the wrong places. Secondly, the people missed who Jesus truly was and what he came to accomplish. They missed it. You see this if you go on in verses 41 and 42. It says that 
When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. And he said, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus wept over the reality that the people missed who he was and what he came to accomplish. They missed this. My fear as well in this room is there are many who are missing who Jesus is today. You've heard. You've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've heard the good news. You've heard what the word of God proclaims concerning God's son Jesus. That he came and lived a perfect sinless life. That he was crucified. Offered himself as an offering for our sins. That he was buried and arose again the third day. That he is the son of God. He is the Messiah. That he's the only way to the father. You've heard that. But you're failing to see. And you're failing to trust in him. Number three, these same people would be left still condemned in their sins because they rejected Christ. They did not believe. They would all soon forsake him. They would acknowledge that Jesus was not their king. They would choose Barabbas. They would be part of the crowd that mocked him and ridiculed him. They did not believe. And that is why in verses 41 and 42, Jesus would weep over the city, desiring that they would know and see who he truly is. Facts about the people. They were looking for salvation and deliverance for all the wrong reasons. They missed who Jesus truly was and what he came to accomplish, and they would be left still condemned in their sins. Let me give us some facts about the present. Number one, the biggest need anyone has today is the need for the Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen to me if you're here today. You are not here on accident. God has you here for a reason. I don't know what you came in here with on your shoulders, what burden, anxiety, fear, what difficulty you're facing in your life today. But I can promise you the biggest need that every person has in this room is the need for Jesus Christ as Savior. If you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that matters more than anything else. It just matters more. It is your biggest need. It is my biggest need. It's everyone's biggest need. It's for the Savior, Jesus Christ. It's the biggest need. And maybe you have been striving and striving and striving after the things of this world to find peace, to find hope, to find reprieve, but you know you are falling short time and time and time again, and you're left wanting time and time and time again. As was the case then, so is the case today. The biggest need is for Jesus. Those who are experiencing inward pain, heartache, evil, distress, anxiety, worry, if you're feeling lost, without hope, without life, without joy, without acceptance, if you're in a position of fear today, of hopelessness, of rejection today, do not miss your biggest need is for Christ as Savior. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have no bigger need today than to know Jesus. It's your biggest need. It was the biggest need they had then. It's the biggest need now. Secondly, Jesus alone can provide true and lasting hope, peace, and deliverance. He's the only one that can provide that. Only Jesus. Drugs, alcohol, money, sex, friends, success, spending, recognition, material things, boats, cars, clothes, bank accounts, fame, fortune, popularity. All of these things are things people turn to for hope. 
They turn to these things for peace, for deliverance from the problems and anxieties of life. They all fall short. And they all will continually fall short and they'll leave you needing and wanting more. They do not work. They don't work. Drugs will not work. Alcohol will not work. Sex will not work. Money will not work. Friends will not work. Success will not work. Recognition will not work. Popularity will not work. It's not enough to fill what's truly lacking in our lives. We need Christ. We need Jesus. You need Jesus. And apart from Christ, what awaits us apart from Christ is eternal damnation. The wrath of Almighty God because of our sin. But in Christ, through Jesus, you can have forgiveness and life. Call unto me, Jesus said. Come unto me, and I will give you rest. I will give rest for your weary souls. True and lasting hope for eternal life. True peace with God the Father. True deliverance from sin that condemns us. Only Jesus. Only Jesus.